Dexter Stucky presents Industry Friends. Welcome to a new edition of Industry Friends. I'm your host, Dexter Stuckey. I have in the building with me today, Mr. Jonathan Harris. Jonathan is, is the coordinator for the award-winning Male Office of Achievement at Lincoln University. He's also a published author, three books he has, um, Master of Ceremonies, a Male's, a Male's Guide to a Successful Life, and two children's books, Girls with Pearls and Growing Gents. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Oh, hey, thank you. I'm listening to that introduction. I'm like, who that? <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I'm You're a truly, very accomplished person. Thank you. It's, it's so funny because um, it's like this quote. Um, I posted about weight loss not too long ago, and it was this quote I had heard, and I was just like, wow, it makes so much sense. But pretty much in relation to what you're saying, it was that the wolf climbing the hill is always hungrier than the wolf at the top of the hill. So anytime I hear my like self being introduced, I'm, I guess I'm proud, like, oh, wow, that's you. Yeah. But at the same time, I also see it as like, I got so much more stuff I'm trying to do. So like, I don't feel a sense of like, I've made it yet. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's like that mixture between don't disregard everything you've done, but don't come, don't become complacent because you have done a lot at a young age either. So I'm always yeah. like stuck between those two identities. I always feel the same way. I always feel like people are like, oh, you did this, 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 and this. Like, this is great. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to do that, 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 and that. Right. <laughs> so the other stuff, it does kind of, because you've done it, you've accomplished it already. And it's it's yeah. great. And it's like a pat on the back for you. But at the same time, like you always have like more goals. And, and I think that's one of the things that I struggle with is being like happy where I am while still mm -hmm. trying to go for more. It's so difficult to do that. Yes. But you mentioned weight loss, and I start every episode off with a personal story, um, how I'm connected to the guest. And with you, I remember meeting you years ago, like you were working at Lincoln University, but you were in a different department. And I was an RA, like, when I, back in my day, I was actually RA of the year when I, my, my senior year, just putting that out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember you were in that office when I first met you. And we, we talked for a little bit and I was like, oh, he's really cool. So for so on, but I know you didn't attend Lincoln, but you were working there at the time. And I remember you talking at that moment about being on like a fitness journey, which I think we all do. Like we all like mention it or we talk about it. Mm -hmm. And that was maybe six years or so ago. It was a while ago. But in, from that time, you've lost over 100 pounds. Yeah. How so, do you do this? Oof. It's, it's so funny because, you know, it just happened as crazy as it was. I remember one day I just got to a space where it's just like, I'm tired of this. I'm a firm believer that, listen, when you become tired of a situation or a circumstance, you will truly make changes. And I knew for me, the, the breaking moment, I was crying on the phone to my dad, like ugly cry. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't want to be this person anymore. Like, I just knew that from that moment forward, like everything afterwards would be different. So I remember, honestly, the first step was I prayed to God and I said, I need your help with this endurance because I understand this isn't going to be a, a, a three day process or even a, a one month process. This is a journey that I'm about to start. So, you know, there were so many things that had to change simultaneously. And that was a huge lesson for me. You know, you know, when people think of weight loss or health journeys, they think of strictly the diet and the exercise. And don't get me wrong, those are extremely important. Mm -hmm. But what people don't understand are all the other things that lead to weight gain. So for example, our schedules, 
Yeah. So there's a whole conversation that you have to have with yourself when you're the person everyone goes to to talk or you're the person everyone goes to at work for projects. There, there has to be a change in work responsibilities. There has to be a change in, you know, having to learn how to tell people no if you always are the person to say yes, right? So th there were a lot of like personal things I had to change about my personality to then even incorporate a weight journey. Uh, on a spiritual side of things, I had to pray for urges. I remember that, you know, in past situations, if I'm upset, I just want to go for a drive to decompress from whatever it is that I'm feeling. Well, guess what? At 11 o'clock midnight, the only thing open is food places. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you, you know, everything was kind of always circling back to other things. It wasn't just that I had poor nutritional choices. I think in general, the way that I process frustration, you know, was poor as well. And it led to me wanting to eat to deal with those things. So there were, there, it was just as much mental repairing that had to be done as it was physical repairing. Wow. So now, once I got those things in order, um, the, the weight kind of essentially dropped off from there. What, now, what is the weight wise? Like, where were you? And then where are you now? Sure. So when I started, uh, the health journey started July 2019, I was at 340 pounds. Okay. So in the midst of losing the weight, I had set a goal because uh, I started July 4, 2019, that one year from now, which would have been July 4th, 2020, I will have lost 100 pounds, then putting me at 240. I end up meeting the goal almost three months ahead of schedule. So I finished in April. And uh, what happened is the pandemic ended up being a beautiful time for that. And even though it was a terrible time in, a, you know, in our society, it worked well for me in terms of having more free time to then commit to it, which is why I was able to finish ahead of schedule. So then I kind of wanted to see if I could do even more. So I ended up losing another 20 pounds. So now I'm sitting at about 220. Wow. Okay. I was actually going to ask you how the pandemic has been treating you because at the beginning of the pandemic, like, I don't do like the scales at all. I don't like get on scales, but I, I could tell. Like, so um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I like would just eat all day, every day. I, ga I gained so much weight. I don't know number wise, but like I could see that I gained so much mm -hmm. weight. And then now I'm like, okay, like you got to do something about this. And then I just started, honestly, it really is what you said. I just changed the mindset. I don't eat certain things. I like try to be physical here and there. And it's just like, the weight just kind of like is dropping off on its own. And it's, it's, it's almost like shocking to me because it's like, I'm not really doing much, you know, like, I'm not, like, I'm not going to the gym at all. Like I'm not doing much. The weight is like dropping off and I can see it and I can feel it. And it really is just changing the mindset. You're currently working as a coordinator for the, as you say, award-winning Office of Male Achievement. I love that every time you talk about it, you put, <laughs> I think that's amazing. Um, what, what does that entail exactly? That is a really good question. So at Lincoln, I wear, I have a couple different hats. Um, I'm also an academic advisor, also work with residence life. So I'm what's called an area coordinator, but some people may know it as a resident director. Some people may know it as a hall director. Some people may know it as a dorm parent. Uh -huh. <laughs> but uh, that my whole theme around the things I do at Lincoln deal with pretty much men's empowerment and men's success. So mm -hmm. from the residence hall I oversee to my cohort of college freshmen I work with, as well as male achievement, they all uh, mainly service male students. We do have some amazing female students here as well, who I also, you know, help and support where I can, but most of my focus deals with guys. So male achievement pretty much is a program that allows guys to get better connected to our campus. It serves as a support system. So we do a lot of workshops on different things from 
personal development to professional skill sets. We've brought in people to talk about public speaking, how to deal with, for example, law enforcement if you're ever pulled over as a man of color, how to go on a date, how to change a tire. So all different types of like life skills things we provide. We also give just a sense of safe space every Wednesday uh, during the semester. We offer something called Brother Circle, which is a community talk. You can come out and talk about whatever's on your heart, or sometimes we discuss current events. Uh, we offer an initiative called Man of the Year, which is a student leadership program. We select one guy from each class here, and he does workshops and different things. So there's a lot of student development that they get from these positions. Uh, we do a lot of things related to helping people just be better. The award-winning part comes from back in 2019, we received the American College Personnel Association Award for Outstanding Men's Program, okay. which is so cool because there are male initiatives all over the country. So for us to be recognized by a nationally known uh, student affairs organization, you know, professional organization was a huge honor because I think we're the only, or I'm sorry, we're the second HBCU to receive the honor. Okay. But uh, more importantly, I think it tells the story of what we've been able to do for the guys here. I think it's cool, um, you know, because statistics show that guys, especially uh, black males have a harder time in school. So to be able to have like such an amazing resource for these guys and to kind of be at the forefront of that is just such a huge honor to me. Mm -hmm. uh, we just hope to continue to, you know, pump out some quality program, quality events, maybe bring more alum in, uh, work with more businesses, and just do more to really help them enjoy their Lincoln experience. Can you talk a little bit to the audience about mentorship? Why, why is it important to you? And like how you go about one, finding someone that you want to mentor, and then also finding, asking the questions to get someone to mentor you. Oh, wow. That's a, such an extremely important topic. Uh, mentorship is something that Oof, I cannot stress enough. It's so important. I'm a firm believer that the best players have amazing coaches. Yeah. And, you know, having a mentor is somebody that you can not only talk to about personal things, but someone that you can go to for professional advice, technical advice, things like that. So to answer your first question, which I believe was how one goes about getting a mentor, essentially, yeah. a lot of times the mentee chooses you. Uh, they see something in your spirit your personality or your goals that attracts them to want to kind of mirror you or spend more time with you. So in all of my mentor-mentee relationships where I'm the mentor, I did not choose any of them. And I, I say that with no spirit of arrogance, but essentially, you know, it was their idea um, for us to spend more time together and things like that. Ironically enough, there was really never like a formal declaration. I know in some mentor-mentee programs, you kind of get matched up and there's like a contract you sign and things like that. Um, I know that system exists as well, but these were just people who essentially just started calling me their mentor. And I'm like, oh, hey, mentee. And we just kind of went from there. Uh, my mentoring style is I'm very hands-on. Like I love checking on my mentees. You know, beyond just like big occasions, I know some people take the approach of, you know, you're the mentee, you should hit up the mentor. But I feel like playing the role of big brother, it's my job to look after you. So like, I always just check in on them like, hey, how's your mental health going? Do you need any money? Uh, do you need any help with anything? So I'm very hands on with like their projects when they have events, I love to be there. Um, I'm very big on accountability. So when they're not living up to their standard of where they should be, we have those real transparent conversations 
Um, one of my mentees, Dimitri specifically, we pray together every single night, have been since June the 10th of 2019. So I think today is like day 591 on our prayer journey. It might be a Genesis thing. You guys should like see. Enter. <laughs> like see if you can get in there with it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we could definitely probably hit it. Uh, our goal is to reach at least a thousand. And I say at least because we don't plan to stop at a thousand. But if we can definitely do a thousand consecutive days of prayer, that'd be so dope. Uh, in terms of me being a mentee, I actually have a mentor named Lawrence, um, and I have so many other people who played the role throughout my life who just provided guidance. Um, I actually did ask him to be my mentor, and something that really helped me is early on, we set expectations mm -hmm. as to what we needed. I know something for me personally. I'm a person who has very big dreams, and I kind of know what I want out of life, but sometimes I know I need help getting there. Yes. I, I know for me, I shut down when people project plans onto me. So if it's like, you need to blank, my response to my head is, I don't need to do anything. Yeah. And I know that's not yeah. always the best response, but I'm sure people who are going to listen to this probably will agree that they also are the same way with that. Absolutely. So my thing is, how can you have a plan for me if I haven't even told you what I want? So I was very clear early on with Lawrence, like, you know, I need you to hear me out and I need you to help me make a plan based on what I want, not hand me a playbook and say, you need to do this to reach success because everyone finds success differently for different things. And I think that that's worked really well with our relationship, but I also try to pay it forward and be that same mentor to my mentees. I don't say you need to do this. Instead, it's what would you like to see happen and how can I support you in making that happen? Um, I think that that's extremely important to maintaining trust and maintaining a, a piece of them wanting to even come to you about stuff. Yeah. Because no one wants an overbearing person in their life. And uh, we have parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, ironically enough, I was having a conversation the other day with a couple people and I ended up turning it into a Facebook post. Mm -hmm. So I'm working on a project and I'm kind of overwhelmed with it. So I called my dad and I was like, dad, I'm overwhelmed. And we talked for like 40 minutes. And afterwards, I just remember getting off the phone, feeling such a sense of relief. And I'm like, I'm so glad that I have parents that I can just be raw with, right? Like, I don't have to have this, everything's together all the time when it's really not. But the thing I love about my parents the most is that we can problem solve. And a lot of, a lot of my students go through that, but also my friends who are in their 30s go through that with their parents. And it's like, their families have been seen and identified as an additional source of anxiety. Because it's like, I know when I call so-and-so, they're going to make me feel 10 times worse than I already feel about this situation. And mm -hmm. I don't need that right now. So let me not call them. Um, mentorship can easily become that too, where it's like the person means well, but they're just so explosive that it's just like, I don't feel like that. I'm already feeling all of this. And then here you come with your rah, 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 rah. <laughs> So I try not to be that person. Sometimes you got to be, but most times I'm, I'm usually not. It's really funny that you've mentioned the part about the parents piece and like having it all together because like for whatever reason, I feel like my parents have always thought that I just had have had everything together. And it's just because I just don't normally go to them to tell them X, Y, Z. But like recently, especially during the pandemic, like I've talked to them more about like mm -hmm. feelings and things that I'm dealing with and stuff like that. And I could tell that they were actually like shocked that I was coming to them with these things, but also I felt, I feel like it was like a sense of like relief for them. Like they were able to help me through like an issue. And I think that more people, especially if you can, if you could talk to your parents about whatever it is that you're going through, and it may not even be anything like that, that that's that big, but just talk to them. And I can, 
I shouldn't say I can guarantee because everybody's relationship is different. Mm -hmm. But like for me, I think our relationship now was better than it always was. And I'm best friends with my parents. I always have been. But being able to open up to them about issues that I'm having, like changed everything. It really did. So Yeah. Um, One of the things that me and you were talking about before we started is uh, we were talking about during the, the pandemic and how like life is changing a little bit and how like things are normally like go, 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 go. We're so inspired to do X, Y, Z. But like we've been lacking. Oh, yes. <laughs> It has been a challenge, you know, uh, we were, you know, you were just mentioning even with your parents, how people have an impression you have it all together. I have been struggling in the new year to really just kind of take the ideas that I have and then have a work ethic to actually match. Yes. Like some days I wake up and I'm just like, yeah, I got nothing for you. <laughs> I, you know, but the, the, to, the to-do list is still there. The ideas are still there, but it's just not translating. And I'm, I'm not 100% sure what that's about. Something that makes it tricky too is that sometimes my village is really hard on me about being hard on myself. So they're like, Jonathan, you do so much. Like it's okay to take a day or two or seven and not do anything. But sometimes I still feel like in the midst of everything I'm trying to do, I'm like, this may not be the best time to take a break. Right, right. But then the downside to that, you know, there are people who don't take care of themselves and they work themselves so much work, you know, overwork themselves. They end up maybe in the hospital and now they are forced to slow down. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, sometimes I'm trying to find that balance. Is this is this my body's way of saying maybe just a day of no computer um, might be what you need? Maybe that will help you uh, function better when you do get back into your grind or is it other things? I know for me, I'm be honest, I have been falling victim to the phone thing very recently. Like I've been spending a lot of time on phone calls, uh, social media and stuff like that. And maybe not for the best usages, just to see what's going on. So I'm like, maybe I need to do a little bit less social networking um, and spend my mornings better. Uh, I was reading an article, they were saying most millionaires, you know, wake up really early and they kind of use their mornings as their like high efficiency time. So I'm thinking maybe before I start my kind of work day with Lincoln to do a little bit more of my entrepreneurial endeavors in the morning. So mm-hmm. I'm going to try to maybe switch it up a little bit and see if that helps my productivity. Also to having a really transparent conversation with my village about I love y'all, but I can't spend so much time on the phone. Well, you can't spend it in person either. So it's going to depend. That's true. <laughs> I'm trying here. Yeah. So, yeah. but I, I I think the final thing is for me too. Like I, I'm one of those people who like I know that it's a problem. Like me and like my father, I I know that it's a problem. I acknowledge that it's a problem, but I refuse to actually acknowledge it. You know what I mean? I'm one of those right. people. Like, oh, I'm going to take a social media break, so forth and so on. I'm like, well, I don't need a social media break. I just log off, but. I was having a, a Zoom conference with some friends and they were like, what's your activity on your phone for Instagram? And I looked at it and it said four hours. And it's like, you're spending four hours a day on Instagram? Like, that is insane. Oh, wow. That's crazy. So I am going to try to cut back a little bit because it, it, it's, yeah, it's a lot of time out of my day. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not doing anything else that I should be doing because I'm spending too much time on Instagram, which is not good. But one of the other things I really want to talk to you about is um, your books, three books, um, and you self-publish all three of these books. Yes. Can you talk to me a little bit about the process of self-publishing? What made you go that route? And also, like, how was it? 
Sure. So I actually got started in my book writing journey actually back in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, I released my first book in 2016. And the thing about self-publishing that I absolutely love is that pretty much it gives you 100% control over the content. When it comes to traditional publishing, um, for those who are considering or who've just been curious, there is a huge financial investment from the publisher because obviously they want your book to be a hit, similar to if you signed a record label contract. So, you know, because the record label is endorsing this album you're about to drop, they have a lot of creative control over the songs, the lyrics, all of that. Well, the same thing goes in the book world. So when you write something and it's traditionally published, they can go in and change things around. And you may not like that because, you know, you want your story told a certain way. Mm -hmm. So with self-publishing, it's 100% you. There's no outside influence. You know, it's not a reflection of the company you went through based on what you said. They're simply more so going to help you with the putting it together in a physical book form and those kind of technical things, but they don't actually control any creative content. So um, that was like a major reason why I I wanted to self-publish because my first book was a self-help book and it had a strong autobiography kind of context on it because I'm telling stories from my real life. So I'm like, I don't want anyone changing my story around. That that would make me essentially a liar. Um, So that definitely played a role. I think too, or not, I think I know, but self-publishing, it's a lot easier to get your material published. With traditional publishing, you're essentially submitting a snippet of your work for consideration. So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people whose work is rejected. And then, you know, obviously now your book is not going to be produced, at least through them. Right. So with self-publishing, because no one's touching the content, you can get it out a lot faster. You can actually write an entire book in a day. So one of the reasons I wanted you to talk about that is because in 2000 and you're so good with dates too. I just want to put that out there. Like, cause you know, exactly okay. when certain things happen. I think for me, I think I started writing maybe 2014, 15, maybe even before that, but around that time I wrote children's books. I had my fiance and I, we have maybe seven or eight children's books written from that time. Like it, just throughout the oh, years, wow. we would just write those. Yeah. We would write those books. She was, she was an educator at the time and I was working I think I was working like retail or something like that. And it was just certain things that we would notice that were happening in the world or whatever. And we're like, we should really talk to kids about this. Like, this is some conversations that I think would be really good for kids. And like her background or what she was doing and mine where I was and everything, I'm just like, we should do this. And we did it together. Amazing. Like some of the books I still read today and I'm like, this is a great content, but we never did anything with it. And like when I saw you, I remember specifically the post is when you talked about when you found your illustrator. And I think she went to like an HBCU or something like that. I can tell you the story really quick because I think it'll be really helpful for those hearing it. So basically, um, I'm really big on local talent. I am a firm believer that more people from grassroots local areas need more recognition because, you know, there are a lot of like powerhouse companies that can just do the same things for you but they don't necessarily need the, the support to the degree of like local talent. So any project I've ever done has always had like a local hand in it mm-hmm. um, compared to like these major companies. I emailed every single art teacher in Prince George's County. We have 72 to be exact. And I know that because I emailed all 72. <laughs> and um, 
it's crazy how life works, both on my side as well as her side, because of the 72 that I emailed, only two wrote me back. Wow. Which is a, 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 I hate to say it, but a horrible response rate, you know, but it's the truth. And of the two, one of them was her art teacher. And he said, like, there's just this girl, she was a, a high school senior at the time. Like, there's this girl who I think is one day going to work for, like, Disney or Cartoon Network. You just have to give her a chance. And he sends in some of her artwork. And I interviewed her as well as the other uh, young lady whose art teacher responded as well. And, you know, just from the conversation, the, the talent, and her humility, she was just a really nice person. And she's, you know, from where I grew up. I was like, absolutely. But it just goes to show, you know, that, oh, man, you know, you might reach out to 72 people, but only two are going to get you, you know, get back to you. And of the, you know, of the two that responded, look at what came of that. Right. So for me, that was really inspirational because I could have spent my narrative only focusing on the 70 that never wrote me back. But look at the, you know, even though the return was very small, look at the, the, the end result of that. Yeah, and also... And, you know, I, t I tell my friends that, too. Like, sometimes we get so caught up on what isn't, but look at what is, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah, two people wrote me back, but of the two, I found my illustrator, and she did amazing. I couldn't have imagined, you know, working with anyone else on this project, so... Yeah, and also, if more people would have responded back, you probably would have to do 72 interviews, and who wants to do 72 interviews? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, like, I just remember seeing you post that story and being so inspired by it, because I'm like, Dexter, you've been doing this. Like, you have these books, like, written. You have this stuff written out. Like, just put it out there. Just do it. I, I guarantee you, before the end of this year, I'm going to have it done. I'm so excited for you, and I can't wait to buy the books, to send the signings, or whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. I can honestly tell you, um, hence, you know, my name being Author John on Instagram, being an author has really changed my life. Even though I would tell you truthfully, losing the weight would be my proudest accomplishment. Right. I would say becoming an author was the thing that probably has transformed my personality the most. I did not realize how many areas of you as a person have to really grow to be a successful author. Like yeah. just small things like my comfort and rejection is better you know I've always been like someone who always believed in like calculated decisions I'm not a person who likes to make decisions if all my variables are not presented to me beforehand but you know you can't live a life that's fearful like that yeah. being an author like gets you out of that completely I've gone to places where I've been put on the spot I've been in situations where you know I've had deals that have fallen through I've been stood up for interviews, standing outside of radio stations, like all of these different things that have like really, yeah, in Philly in the rain one night. Crazy, right? Mm -hmm. But I just, I say all that to say, um, this process has built so much inner toughness to the point where I remember one time I wanted to have a book opportunity in New York, like a book signing. I reached out to four different Barnes and Noble store locations. All four rejected me, like almost in the same like two day span, right? Which is very humbling. And I remember something in my spirit was like, find out why you got rejected. Right. So I wrote them all back and I was just like, okay, there's a reason you say yes to some, but you said no to me. And they actually sent me like resources. They was like, pretty much, this is what you need to know in order to get accepted. Okay. And I remember one lady even gave me her number, like, yeah, call me, we'll talk about it. And I'm like, wow. Like before I was an author, I wouldn't have cared that much. It would have just been like, dang, I got rejected. 
But being an author really transformed me. Like, you got to get this right and you got to be better at it. So you need to really learn and become a real student of the game. And, you know, what's crazy circling back to 2020 now, June of 2020 to be specific, uh, my book is now being sold in a Virginia Barnes and Noble store location. Nice, nice. And it was the information that I got from that New York location that rejected me. Um, they were talking about the art of like how you pitch things. And they were saying like, truthfully, people don't care for long pitches. When I first started as an author, I was just really, I used to write six paragraphs to everybody trying to think. And the truth is people are busy. No one cares. Like, it's great that you have these you know, this star stacked resume, but you're one of 500 emails that they're looking at. Get to the point, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> and I say all that to say, like, I learned all of that from being an author. So I'm, I'm truly grateful to the process. And that's yeah. why I'm excited for you to write your book. I'm going to be asking you all these questions because like I, you've taught me yeah. so much stuff just now that I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Like pitch emails yeah. and going into bookstores. And I, I yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely gonna talk offline. <laughs> it's gonna be crazy though, because like now after people hear this, they're gonna be hitting you up. Because this is really, really valuable information. I know so many people who are self-publishing and who are trying to do that. And like, I don't think a lot of people have anyone to talk to them about that. Like, people are really just like how you did, figuring it out on their own. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of times, the more you figure things out on your own, like just you learn stuff and then yeah. you pass it on to other people and then they can do the same thing and then they can pass stuff on to you. And I think the networking across thing is like, it's an amazing thing. Oh yeah, I'm definitely happy to collaborate. I want to down the road, actually, once we get into book coaching, I feel like one area where I feel like I have found success is I feel like I've been able to keep my books in the limelight despite how much older they've gotten. So uh, this year, my first book, the lovely cover, uh, Master of Ceremonies, is turning, oh, can't believe I'm about to say this, five years old. Um, yes, I, I released it in March of 2016. Mm -hmm. So I say all that to say, from this one book, I've had an opportunity to give a TEDx talk. I've won a 40 Under 40 award. I've had a chance to speak um, you know, various conferences, different platforms and stuff. So a lot of times what most people don't know about the book world is it's like this real kind of quick rise in this hard, ugly fall, where maybe like the first month your book comes out, you know, your family, your friends, everybody's so excited that you are this new author. And then I hate to say it, but life does go on. Yeah. And now how do you keep those books still relevant? So the fact that last year during a pandemic, my first book got picked up by Barnes and Nobles in a store location you know, that, that's something I take pride in because it's a four-year-old book at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, generally speaking, the best time to capture a person is when something first comes out. But again, the life of a book extends beyond just its release dates. And you have to have an entire plan to make people care that you wrote a book that is now five years old, yeah. five years later. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. So and you want to help people with that when you were like the, the writing books changed your life and you said like, you yeah. can't, like, you know, obviously physically like losing the weight is definitely something that you're always mm -hmm. going to take pride in. I, I know exactly when, what you mean when you say, look, I wrote this book and this is going to change my life because like you just said, it's five years later and I can still talk to you about this physical book. Mm -hmm. One of the things I always ask my guests is what's next. So what's next for author John? Oh goodness. So so many different things that I am looking to do. Um, in the book world, I will be releasing my fourth book this year. Um, and that book will actually be talking about the weight loss journey. So I'll get more into depth as to not only 
you know, how I did it, but life after doing it and still currently maintaining it. And it's cool because it's not like a typical health book where it's just, you know, diet and exercise, diet and exercise. We get into some real challenges that people have and I open up about my challenges. So you'll get to really explore it. There are some fun like activities and questions to answer. So it's very engaging and it's a short read. More on a professional note, want to continue my uh, professional development at Lincoln when it comes to speaking at conferences. I feel like we, we have a really strong Mel initiative here talking to other schools about how I do what I do and the students that work with me do it as well. You know, on a personal note, want to make some more time for dating. Uh, also continue to maintain the weight that I've lost, continue to be a good mentor, godfather, uncle. So all of those personal responsibilities, kind of keeping those things afloat. So every day is something. Um, on a more personal note, I'm trying to learn more in the world of financial education. Now, in your book, will you have any recipes for oatmeal in there? Guys, he, every single day, <laughs> a bowl of like oatmeal. And just like, yes. give this man a sponsorship already. I'm waiting on Quaker Oats to just call me and I'm like, let's do this. Now, I close out every show with asking my guests for their puzzle piece. It could be a quote, a mantra, a word that you live by. What is your puzzle piece? Sure. So I'm going to actually try to answer your question and not do puzzle pieces. Okay. If you have to do pieces, that's fine too. But my favorite quote is comparison is the thief of joy. People have this thing where they'll say, like, I wish or I want to have what this person has. And I'm always just like, I don't know, though, because, yes, like, I want to have a full head of hair. Like, I would love to have a full head of hair like this guy does. But at the same time, though, my parents are like my best friend. This guy, parent, they might not fool with them like that. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't, you don't know this person's full situation. So it's like, don't look at one thing that they have and say you want that because you don't want the rest of it. Um, like John, where can they find you on social media if they wanted to connect with you? So this is Facebook, this is Twitter, this is Snapchat, this is Instagram, and now Clubhouse. Okay. Um, but my uh, username is Author John. That's A U C H O R J O N. Again, that's Author John. Uh, they can also visit my website, which is www.authorjohn.com. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, John, yes. for coming on to the show today. This was amazing. I think this is going to do a lot for other people. And I know for sure it did a lot for me. I will be in your inbox a lot because I have so many questions and we also need to talk about wrestling. Yes, <laughs> ladies, and gentlemen, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this has been another edition of Industry Friends. Hey guys, Industry Friends is now on Instagram at Industry Friends. So after you rate the show, subscribe to the show, repost the show, review the show, and tell your friends about it, follow us on Instagram at Industry Friends. Industry, Industry Friends. friends.